الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ومن يعمل من الصالحات من ذكر او انثى وهو مؤمن فلنحيينه حياه طيبه قال تعالى في مقام اخر وما اصابكم من مصيبه فبما كسبت ايديكم ويعفو عن كثير وقال تعالى في مقام اخر واذا اردنا ان نهلك قريه امرنا متر فيها ففسقوا فيها ففسقوا فيها فحق عليها القول فدمرناها تدميرا قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم المؤمنون كجسد واحد ان اشتكى عينه اشتكى كله وان اشتكى راسه اشتكى كله تداعى له سائر الجسد بالسهر والحمى او كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم First, a very humble request to those who don't have to be leaning against the wall, etc. to please come and sit in front of inshallah. Those who need the wall to, to help the age, by all means. Jazakumullah khair jazakumullah. Jazakumullah. In the short time that we have, is a very long history that we are going to try to summarize the history that helps us to go forward that history is worth studying is worth reading is worth understanding because that is the purpose of the history the quran sharif is filled with history history of the anbiya ali salatu wasalam history of the nations of the past what happened to those who disobeyed allah taala where they finished off and how those who obeyed allah taala obeyed the anbiya ali salatu wasalam followed in their footsteps toward heights allah taala took them this is the history that the quran sharif is filled with and allah taala says laqad kana fi qasasihim ibratul liulil albab that in these incidents of the anbiya ali salatu wasalam that allah taala has mentioned is ibra but not everybody will take the ibrat not everybody will take that lesson ibratul liulil albab people of intelligence people of intelligence will take the lesson of this history so this history is very very useful very important but for this purpose unfortunately many things that have happened in history are read but like another bedtime story or just for the facts just for the some well we enhanced our knowledge of something that happened in the past and that's the end of it that is not going to be of any benefit to us the benefit is the ibrat that we take nevertheless deen allah tbarak wa taala has made deen the safeguard and the savior for any person who wishes to have a good life in this dunya and have the everlasting bounties of jannat 
In the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala spelled this out. وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِنَ الصَّالِحَاتِ مِنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٍ فَلَنُحْيَنَّهُ حَيَاتًا طَيِّبًا Whoever does righteous actions, be it male or female, together with Iman. Iman and Amal-e Salihah. Allah Ta'ala says, the promise of Allah Ta'ala is, فَلَنُحْيَنَّهُ حَيَاتًا طَيِّبًا You will give him a good life. There's a full tafsir and explanation of what that good life is all about. But that's the crux of it. Allah Ta'ala's promises is. On the other side of it, the world is a place of asbab. Person puts his hand in the fire, he's going to get burnt. The odd situation, which was the exception to the rule, that is the qudrat of Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala manifested. But the system Allah Ta'ala has placed in this world, is if a person puts his hand in the fire, he'll get burnt. If he read about or heard about the incident of Ibrahim والسلام, and decides to put his hand in the fire and say, I won't happen, he'll get burnt. And if a person drinks cold water, he's going to feel cool. He sits down in an air-conditioned room, he's going to feel cool. Likewise, Iman and Amal Saliha will bring a good life. And on the other side, Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِن مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِكُمْ وَيَعْفُوا عَنْ كَثِيرٍ Whatever calamities befall you, Allah Ta'ala says, is what you have done. Just as a fire burns, your amal burns. Now this is the context in which we have to understand this. And this is the context in which we have to speak and hear about this. And then take the step forward. So in any case, this is a very, very lengthy discussion. But just to summarize those aspects which would inshallah be a means of us taking some lesson from it. That what is this invasion of the Tatars and what happened what led to it, what was the outcome of it, just to get some understanding, some glimpse, very, very brief glimpse about all of this. As far as this particular incident is concerned, very great Mu'arrikhin, historians, like Ibn al-Asir, rahimahullah, see, we came to this point and our pens couldn't move. And it was the most painful thing to ever write. And Ibn Azir writes, it was like writing the funeral notice of the Ummah. He says, who can bear this? Now that's another entire discussion. But unfortunately, we are so exposed to all kinds of fake drama that even the realities don't shake us anymore. What goes on with the Ummah is like another drama. And we just hear about it, unless something happened to someone very close to us, then it's another news item. At the most, if there's some collective amal taking place, somebody, some collective dua, we might participate in it. Or if there's some contribution required to help somebody, we'll contribute it. Alhamdulillah, that too is animal. But to take some five minutes out, make two rakat salatul haja, make dua for the ummah, to cry in the middle of the night. That doesn't happen, it doesn't shake our hearts because we are, it's another news item. Something happened here, something happened there. That child is playing with his, on his devices, all the fighting games. This is another fight also. He's been killing the whole day too. Somebody else is getting killed some other part of the world. It's another news item, it's another game. But those who had the reality of what this is all about, that this is no game. This is the ummah of Rasulullah. Ibn Asir says, I decided not to write it. 
You see, this is such a tragedy that from the time of Adam and he says that if somebody claims that till the time of Yajuj Majuj such a destruction will not take place, he won't be wrong. Now a person who's written the history of for centuries of from before Nabi Salaam's time, right through all the centuries, from the advent of Insan almost, whatever could be gathered. And he says, if somebody makes this claim that such a heart-rending incident hasn't happened from the time of Adam Islam till now, and such an incident may never happen till Yajuj Majuj, he won't be wrong. And he says that the time will come. The time will come when what we have written, somebody will say that this cannot be true. But it's true. It's unbelievable, but it's reality. Now, this is the kind of situation that happened. Just to understand a little bit of background, that how this took place, where it started off from. There was a ruler, Muhammad Kharjim Shah. He had conquered a very vast area. From one side, from the west, from Georgia and Armenia, all the way to India and China and coming down almost to Egypt, etc. So he was ruling this vast area. On the other side was Genghis Khan and he was ruling some area, the Mongolian section. There was some trade pact between the two and this was carrying on. Both had obviously come into some trade agreement. Traders would come from that end to here, from here to there was carrying on. One trade caravan came. So they came to some place which was under the jurisdiction of this Muhammad Kharjim Shah. Some place called Uttarar. So the governor of Uttarar, he saw this caravan and they had a lot of wealth and a lot of riches with them. And so he sent a message to Muhammad Kharjim Shah. These people look like spies. Muhammad Kharjim Shah gave the instruction that their wealth must all be confiscated, they must be executed. Now, there was no investigation properly done, no real verification of this news, and he gave the order, execute them. That was what happened, all their wealth was executed, uh, uh, confiscated, the wealth was sold off to the people of the place, and all these people were executed. Now this message reached, eventually, Genghis Khan. So he was really enraged. He sent an envoy with the entire delegation directly to Muhammad Kharzim Shah. That this happened in an area under your jurisdiction. Did you approve of it? Or this was just done by the governor on his own accord? It was done by the governor of his own accord. We will make him taste the result of his action. We will make him taste the worst disgrace and punishment. He's talking his language. But if you did this and you approved it, then I am really astonished at this. These traders were Muslims. And you are claiming to be a Muslim. And despite now, he's talking about himself. I don't follow any religion. But I also don't regard it as proper and correct to kill people who have come in peace as traders. How did you ever allow this? So first please clarify what happened. 
Now, in any case, this delegation came, this person came as an envoy, he came as an, in, in good faith, in, in a condition of peace. But there are some things that become intoxicants. One is an intoxicant that we know, somebody drinks something that will intoxicate him, Allah forbid, somebody smokes something that will intoxicate him. These are all haram, obviously. And Allah Ta'ala protect us and protect everybody from all these things. But there are some other intoxicants also. In one hadith sharif, Nabi Salaam has mentioned some intoxicants. إِنَّكُمْ عَلَىٰ بَيِّنَةٍ مِّن رَبِّكُمْ مَا لَمْ تَظْهَرْ فِيكُمْ سَكْرَتَانِ That you will remain on the clear path that your Rabb has decreed for you until two intoxicants don't overtake you. You don't become over powered by two intoxicants. سَكْرَةُ حُبِّ الْعَيْشِ وَسَكْرَةُ الْجَهَلِ The intoxicant of this good life of dunya, just to love dunya only. This is one of the intoxicants. Now dunya, there's two aspects in dunya. One is the intoxication of wealth and the other is the intoxication of power. Sometimes one is the wealth that comes in a halal way, in the hands of somebody with deen, that's a great ni'mat. Ni'mal maru salih rajuli salih. But if that wealth is not coupled with deen, that wealth can intoxicate. That wealth can really intoxicate. And Allah forbid what it can then take a person to. And likewise, power not coupled with deen. Power also intoxicates. And when a person is in this, in this intoxication, an intoxicated person can't think. Now here comes an envoy. He comes to clarify. Now this was something he should have done in the first place. Now he's had these people executed, but somebody without iman, they are acting on the lessons that they learn from us. It's not that we should be impressed with them. They learned our lesson. And in dunya, anybody who makes amal on the mu'asharat, the mu'amalat and the akhlaq of Rasulullah even if that person doesn't have iman, he'll benefit in dunya. Akhirat, akhirat, there's nothing for anybody without iman. The person left without iman, nothing for him. But in dunya, a person even without iman, but if he'll live, he'll trade the way Nabi Salaam thought how to trade, he'll prosper. And a mu'min will go against the way of Rasulullah he'll fail. Likewise the Mu'asharat. Even a disbeliever will live the Mu'asharat of Rasulullah in dunya, he too will live a peaceful life. And a mu'min will ignore that, yield to suffer misery in dunya, let alone akhirat. So this person now is terrifying, he sent this envoy. Muhammad Khazim Shah was intoxicated with this power. He executed this envoy and the rest of the delegation, he had their beards all shaved and sent them back. Now when they came with this message, this is what happened. He had the envoy killed and he sent us like this. So Genghis Khan, he was now really enraged and he said, this is it. Now we can't take this anymore. And as a result, he gave the instruction to his people to immediately start preparing for war. Himself, he went away onto the mountain top. And he remained standing there for three days. Well, he must have, Allah knows, that's what the historians say, he remained standing there, meaning for the bulk of the time, when he didn't have to sleep or whatever. For three days he remained standing there bareheaded, which was not something that they would do also. But this was now to sort of show his complete uh, 
helplessness. He's not even a person with Iman. But he was Muslim now. He was oppressed. His people were oppressed. So he stood there for three days. Doing what Allah knows. Just asking for something. After three days he heard a voice. And the voice said that you have been oppressed. Go and seek vengeance. You will gain control of the land. So when he heard this voice, where the voice came from he doesn't know obviously. But he came down and he told his people now we are going to march. And I have been promised, he used to use this language, that I have been promised that I will take, take the land. Now in between there are numerous details. Some of these details, as mentioned earlier, that the historians themselves couldn't write it. Then they, with a lot of difficulty, wrote it finally. For us to take a neighborhood, that someday somebody will take a lesson from this. There is no time to go into all those details, neither is it necessary to go into all those details, but just to skim through some of the issues that uh, what happened from there onwards. Five months later, Genghis Khan started marching with his army. But before he came, Muhammad Khazim Shah already got the news that this person is now preparing for war. So he decided that rather let me be the first one to march. So he marched already. He took a huge army and he came to a place which was part of Genghis Khan's territory. This was just the tip of it. It just happened at that time, the people from that particular area had gone to fight some other battle somewhere. So all the men were out. But it was not probably too far away. Now they started plundering and looting the place. They took the women and children as captives, started taking the whatever wealth was there, booty. In the meantime, this message reached the men. So they all quickly returned. And before these people could leave this place, they pounced upon them. There was a fierce battle that continued to rage for four days. After four days, at night, each one lit their fires to make it appear that they're all busy cooking. It just happened that this side did the same thing, the other side did the same thing. That they're busy cooking and still waiting for the next morning. And in the darkness of night, both parties retreated. But by the time this retreat took place, there were 20,000 Muslims that had already passed away. Now this was just against one small portion of Genghis Khan's army. And Genghis Khan wasn't even aware this fight took place because he was so far away from this place. Now when Muhammad Harzim Shah saw this, that we couldn't even defeat this one small portion of his army, where are we going to survive? So now he started retreating. He came to Bukhara and left 50,000 men there. He came to Samarkand and left 20,000 soldiers to guard that place. He went to some other place and left so many thousand. And among the asbab, among the means of his destruction, some historians write was this. That he split the army up. He thought, well, we'll look after all the places. But the Mongolian army came from one direction. So the force, whatever number was there, was not good enough to withstand this. But this is all the doings of insan. As mentioned earlier, intoxicated person can't think. That power intoxicates. And as we will discuss something else just now, inshallah, that will give us the perspective. What happens to all these things? How these things happen? In any case, this is what 
happened, he split the army all these places. And five months later, Genghis Khan came with his army. When he came, the first place that they attacked was Bukhara. Now, Bukhara is a place which if we haven't heard the place, still it's so familiar to everybody because nobody is there who hasn't heard of Imam Bukhari. This was a place which was a seat of knowledge. So much of legacy of deen has come to us from this place of Bukhara. And this was the first place that they attacked. First when they came, the people asked them, look, let's enter into a peace treaty. Whatever you want, we will give you. Just leave us in peace. So they agreed. Then they came into the city. After coming into the city, they said, okay, bring all the eminent people here. All the eminent people were brought. They confiscated all their wealth, whatever. Then they said, well, there's one fort is there in which there's whatever number of soldiers, 15, 20,000 soldiers that are in this fort. You people are now going to help us to conquer this fort. So they forced them to now fight for them to conquer the fort. The fort, around the fort, these soldiers had dug a huge trench. Now to get to the fort, they had to first fill the trench up. So now all these Muslims are in the front of the army. They have to fill this trench. Now they are taking whatever they can, because they, they got no choice, they are under either your life or you do this. So they are now doing this, now they are filling the trench with whatever they can, sand and wood and whatever else. But now this was not enough for these, for these uh, Tatars. Now Uzubillah, they started taking whatever they could find, whether it was the Quran Sharif, whether it was the books of Deen, they were members of Masajid, and this was perhaps done to just just add that extra name that to just cause that so much more taklif to the Muslims that all this Nawazubillah was taken and used to fill the trench eventually this fight took place also they overran that fort as well and after having then let the eminent people leave the city they started their massacre and they plundered and looted and all the atrocities, violated the woman, slit the bellies of those who were expecting children. And what we've heard in recent times pales into insignificance compared to what was done in that zamana by these people. The worst kind of atrocities. And after all this was done, and everything they had plundered and looted and everything, they finally set alight the entire place. The masajid, the madaris, the houses, everything was set alight. And then whatever ruins were left, they were left there. There were many people who were hiding between corpses. But there were so many corpses that a plague broke out. Those people died as a result of that plague. And such painful things happened, this was still just the start of it. Then they went on from one place to the next, from Bukhara, then they went to Samarkand and then they went on to many other places. Unfortunately, the same kind of situation happened. Eventually, they, after conquering several places, Muhammad Kharzim was on the retreat. He tried to flee. He boarded one boat somewhere and he went onto the Caspian Sea. On that boat with just two or three people with him, he contacted Pluracy 
very very sick finally they just somehow brought him onto an island deserted place and even there they started pursuing him he started fleeing from there and at that time he said something at that time he said subhanallah malikal muluk oh malikal muluk oh the king of all king, kings and then he said that lam yabqa lana min mamlakatina ma'a sa'atiha qadru zira'ain nudfanu fiha that despite the vast, vastness of our kingdom we can't even find two spans two hand spans of land where we can get buried tilkal ayyamu nudawiluha bainan nas Allah Ta'ala has already spelled all this out in the Quran Sharif for us that this is how Allah Ta'ala interchanges the times somebody is on the top person who had this vast kingdom he conquered a space between Georgia and Armenia on the west and India and China on the south coming all the way down to Egypt he's saying I can't find two handspans of land to have myself buried of my choice I got no place this whole vast kingdom is what now the lessons Allah Ta'ala's ni'mat whatever Allah Ta'ala blesses person makes shukr there's no place for pride there's no place for, place for arrogance there's no place for I and mine Allah Ta'ala doesn't like this and Allah Ta'ala made it happen Allah Ta'ala showed the whole world that this I and mine wait finished off person this vast kingdom he probably can't travel the whole kingdom but he can't find two handstands of land where he wants to be buried now, these are that these are those lessons that we have to pick up on the way how dangerous this arrogance this pride this haughtiness this zulm the zulm that was perpetrated triggered this how dangerous this zulm is ittaqi da'wat al-mazlum nabi sallallahu alaihi says fear the the dua the bad dua the curse of the mazlum of the oppressed person there is no barrier between his dua and allah taala and even if the person is without iman but he's mazlum in dunya he'll get assistance in dunya he'll get the help also in the akhirat if he went without iman there's nothing for him but in dunya if he's mazlum he'll get the help also so in any case eventually this person died completely broken dejected and in this manner without anybody's all his army and people all fled many were in the thousands were massacred after he was killed in any case they came on maru which is another very well known place in the annals of our legacy uh where lot of the fuqaha etc were all based in this place 700000 people were massacred in this place but then came finally the situation where they finally came to baghdad now again there's no need to go into all these details but in baghdad the historians write that what happened in baghdad is again unspeakable almost the same atrocities that were committed elsewhere same things were repeated here just at the at a much more greater scale and in total 1.8 million of the 2.5 million inhabitants were massacred 2.5 million people were inhabiting the place at that time 1.8 million people were made shaheed and what else happened allah knows again this is another very very 
painful part. There's too many things here. There's no need to go into all those details. What is going to be achieved by, by talking about how the Ummah was, was cut up and burnt up? Allah Ta'ala. Those who passed away, their lives went, they became shaheed. There's nothing to take out of that in terms of the details. What happened, happened. But we have to take something for the way forward. After that they went to Halab, Aleppo. This is something we are very familiar with nowadays, the place name. Again, similar massacre there. This was among the last places that they massacred. In any case, they took control over this entire place. This was in the time of Genghis Khan. Then he died, his son, Halaku Khan came. The Khilafa, Abbasi Khilafa, which was in Baghdad, was very small at that time. That was already overrun. And then this person came even downwards towards Egypt and massacred so many others. But Allah Ta'ala made it such that this turned around then. All this nevertheless, many many details in between we are living out. But just to now come to the way forward. When Baghdad fell, this is one part of the fall of Baghdad which is something to take note of. When Baghdad fell, how did this happen? One of the things happened at that time was that Genghis Khan came with an army of 200,000 horsemen alone. Apart from that was another, Allah knows best how many thousand. At Baghdad there were 10,000 soldiers. How this happened? 10,000 soldiers? A place like Baghdad. So there was an advisor to the Khalifa at that time, Ibn al-Alqami. He was a Shia. It happened some time before that, that there was some fighting between the Sunnis and Shia. Some thing happened. In any case, then it was all quelled. But that was running through him. That he needed to take vengeance whatever happened. He was advisor. Advisor to the Khalifa. So he started making some pretext and because he's the advisor started making some kind of pretext or the other to start having the soldiers dismissed on whatever pretext he made. So first so many thousand dismissed and then so many thousand dismissed. And in this manner up to 90,000 soldiers, the army of 100,000, 90,000 soldiers were dismissed, all the allowances cut. So to start off with, already the people were now gone to begging. Then he contacted Halaku Khan. And he invited him. That if you come and attack Baghdad now, don't worry, you will come through. There was, Halaku Khan consulted his advisors. Somebody told him, no, no, it doesn't seem right. Don't go. There was a Shia on that side, Nasiruddin Tusi. He advised him, no, you must go. Now this conspiracy between the two, Halaku Khan came. And 10,000 soldiers, what they going to be able to do against this army of 200,000 horsemen alone. The very, very heart-rending thing that happened, the Khalifa was a Sayyid. Halaku Khan was afraid of killing him. He, he was afraid that if his blood is going to fall on the ground, something will happen. These people said, no, don't worry. We'll show you something. 
will show you something that you'll kill him also, not one drop of his will spill on the ground. They had this person wrapped in sackcloth. They said, now we'll kick him to death now. And that is how he was brought to meet his end in dunya. And then the whole place was run over, and whatever happened, happened. It was the treachery of the Shia advisor, and he conspired with this Nasiruddin Tusi on the other side, and so many other things happened in between. And in this way, this tragedy unfolded, and this is what happens. Just to fast forward to many things, after this genocide took place, what happened thereafter? Many Muslims were still around. They were killed in the millions. So many were made shaheed. But many were still around. And they underwent a very harsh treatment under the rulers of that time. They were very, very harsh against them. And some were so severe against them in certain areas, certain places, that it was a month of Ramadan when they finally, when now completely had overrun the place. In the month of Ramadan, they would force the Muslims that were still around in some places, during the day, force them to eat pork and drink wine. In the month of Ramadan, they were being forced to do this. If any person was caught making zabah, so now, if he was ever found making zabah, he was killed. And rewards were being offered for anybody who is who brings the information. As a result now people for the reward were just making false accusations. They never saw anything accusing people. This person did this. Halas, he got the reward that Bichara his life went away. And this was continuing. And this is the treatment that took place over a period of time. But now just to pause on that for a while and then come to the last chapter of this. But just to pause on that note and come to some discussion in between. The question is, that how did this happen? Such a painful part of our history, how it happened? So historians have written many things. Somebody has written about, well, this treachery of the Shia, that they well conspired, and this shouldn't have happened. And somebody wrote about, well, the folly of uh, Muhammad Kharzam Shah, that he split the army, and this happened. And all these things have been written, many other things of this nature. Hazrat Mawla Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi, rahimahullah, very great alim of our recent past, passed away some approximately 20 or 25 years old ago, and a historian of note. And he's written a kitab, Tarikh Da'wat wa Azimat, which is translated in English and available as well, Saviors of the Islamic Spirit. And in there he has this entire discussion as well. And he writes, and he writes a very important point. That Muhammad Kharzim Shah made some mistakes. It doesn't happen that on one person's mistake, a whole nation in this manner bears a brunt. It doesn't happen. This is not the way that things have happened. And this is not the system that Allah has placed in this world. That one person will make a mistake and a whole nation will bear the brunt. It doesn't happen. Rather, there are other issues that become the, the background to it. That we are actually the foundation of it. Then something on the top becomes a catalyst. Something ignited the fire. But the fuel was all being 
stockpiled over time. Then something ignited it on top. Somebody's foolish decision, somebody made some wrong move, he made a, we'll call it a miscalculation, whatever we'll call it. But that was merely the spark that ignited that and set ablaze that stockpile of fuel that was being all stockpiled over a long period of time. Having made this point, Hazrat Mu'abdul Hassan Ali Nadirahimullah, he then goes into the asbab and what was the background. And then he writes in detail that unfortunately in that period of time and in this era, in this, in this area, there were millions of Muslims. But what had become the life of the Muslims? That was the thing that now one needs to look at and it's not difficult to understand then what happened. So he then gave a description of what were the details of that time. Just to very, very briefly just summarize it and just mention a few points only. Amassing dunya had become the be-all and end-all of people's lives. So anything and everything could just stand aside for the dunya. And wealth was, there was so much of wealth that it was unprecedented. Every other person was, he had more wealth than he even knew. With wealth and lack of deen, if there's wealth coupled with deen, then it's a great na'mat. But if wealth is not coupled with deen, then that's a, that's a greater test than even poverty. Uptulina bisarra, uptulina biddarra fa sabarna, summa uptulina bisarra fa lam nasbir. Sahaba say that we were tested with adversity, we passed it. We were tested with ease, we didn't manage to pass. They're talking on their level, not on our level. What they say they didn't pass is like flying colors for us. It's like triple A for us. Some mustahab sometime may have got missed out, some minor things happen somewhere, they say we didn't pass. So, with that wealth came the need to express that wealth. So fun, pastimes, sport, leisure, these took over the people to a point of craze. And this engrossment in entertainment, and to highlight this, this engrossment in entertainment, says that on the day of Eid, and likewise when the days would come for the anniversary of the Khalifa's ascension to the Khilafat, so there would be the royal procession that would come out. On the Eid morning the royal procession will start. Now the royal procession and in that time with that wealth, so what kind of procession that might have been, and all the merrymaking and everything. So people now early in the morning this procession would leave. And this would continue. People would be so engrossed in this, in the thousands, hundreds of thousands, that on two occasions, on one occasion of Eid, people got so engrossed in it, close to midnight they realized we didn't even make our Eid Salah yet. They made the Eid Salah close to midnight. On another occasion, suddenly it was almost sunset. They said, we haven't yet made our Eid Salah. They got so caught up in this merrymaking, in this entertainment, fun and games. That even many a person, Allah forbid, that's a great tragedy that a person only performs Eid Namaz. For the whole year he didn't make maybe even Jummah. It's a terrible tragedy. 
But come the day of Eid, that person who feels, well, I didn't perform my namaz the whole year, at least Eid. At least some semblance of my being must remain somewhere. Can't be Eid also. And here comes the day of Eid, one occasion is gone to midnight, one occasion just before Maghrib. They're making the Eid Salah. Why? Because of this engrossment in entertainment. Entertainment took over. And together with that, all the vices. Corruption was the norm, bribery, and all the other sins and vices. And there's an abundance of wealth, and there's a dearth of deen. There's a deficiency of deen, and an abundance of wealth. That's a very dangerous mix. That's a fatal mix. That is a very, very dangerous mix. And that's what happened to these people. And the moral decay that came in the society brought it to an all-time low. A community, a society, Allah forbid, if there's kufr, it will still survive in dunya for a while. But even with iman, but if there is immorality, that government won't survive long. Even if the rulers are believers, but with immorality, indecency, vulgarity becomes the norm and this is now overrunning the place, then even the believing rulers won't, won't last. But if there is decency, then in dunya, Allah Ta'ala gives respite. Allah Ta'ala gives respite even to a disbelieving ruler also. If there is an immorality, he'll get respite too. But this became the, the norm, the moral decay. Now when all this was the order of the day, then this became the catalyst. Now, sins, one of the harms of sins, sins stunts the thinking of a person. When a person gets steeped in sin and persists in sin, he can't think. And this is an everyday issue that Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. Sometimes a person wants to do something, his parents are explaining to him, the grandparents are explaining, the neighbors came and started explaining, his ustad came away to try to explain to him, this is so beyond belief you have to do something like this. He says, how to do it? And he then goes and do, does it, and then he destroys himself too. But he wants to do it. But how can you think of doing something like this? He says, how to do it? See, but this is defying all logic. You know, but how to do it? So how come when a person persists in sin, and he gets steeped in sin, and over time Allah has given despite, but he doesn't take heed, then this becomes the means of stunting the person's thinking. He can't think that. Likewise, unfortunately, this Muhammad Harjim Shah, simple things now, he couldn't think. That this is a trade caravan, they are in peace with us. If there is a suspicion that they are spies, we need to investigate it first. His mind couldn't think. He gave the order to execute them. Then came the envoy to inquire, to clarify the issue. There's like an ambassador coming to some, from one country to another. Any law, any land respects the ambassador. Regardless of, they might be at war with the opposite party. But they will respect the ambassador. You can't touch the ambassador. But he couldn't think. 
His mind was blanked out to think straight. How can I do this? He did it. His mind was blanked out by, his, by the sins of society. Society, a'malukum, ummalukum. Your actions are your rulers. They say ruh, they say farishta. The kind of soul, that is a kind of farishta, an angel will come. So the society, the rulers are the reflection. So this was what was going on. This became the norm. Everybody was in the same trend of sins and vice. This person couldn't think simple things. He split his army out. But all these things are not, that's where it stops. Like scientists, they will say, well, the earthquake took place. What happened? This happened, the crust of the earth. Why that happened? That's where they stop. A movement goes beyond that. Allah Ta'ala's Qudrat. Why Allah Ta'ala made it shake? Here also Allah Ta'ala gave them warning signs. Allah Ta'ala gives warning signs first. When this moral decay had set in, they were, there was a severe drought that didn't change anybody. There was an earthquake that didn't change anybody. There were some other catastrophes. There was some internal fighting took place, many passed away. That didn't take them. Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. We can see where we're heading. This is the point to reflect on. We should be looking around ourselves, at the Ummah at large. What is the condition of the Ummah? Where are we heading? This kind of things that was discussed, the engrossment in entertainment, and all the kinds of vices, and what not was going on, the moral decay of the society, Nowadays what's going on, one is the haram that used to take place once upon a time also. Now it is the pride over the haram. Through social media, person does the worst things and is posting it for everybody to see and is gloating over it. In one hadith, Nabi Salaam says, everyone in my ummah will get forgiven. Kullu ummati mu'afan illa al-mujahireen. Except the mujahireen. And then Nabi Salaam explains after that, who are these people? Somebody did something, Allah Ta'ala still covered it. Allah Ta'ala's clemency. Allah Ta'ala still covered it. He wakes up the next morning and he starts advertising it. This person is now actually na'uzubillah, summa na'uzubillah. So to say like challenging Allah Ta'ala. The person is challenging Allah Ta'ala, where is going to finish off? Now this has become so common nowadays. People do the worst of things. What not going on in some wedding function, in something else. One of the things that was happening in that time, exorbitant wedding functions. This is one of the things Mawal Alimiya has written as well. And he has a, uh, written detail about it. The kind of weddings that were taking place and the wastage and the vices and sin and the immorality that used to take place. Allah Ta'ala save us and protect us. Where are we heading? So this is what invited the calamity. This is what invited, after the warning signs came also, didn't change anybody. Nobody took heed. They didn't take a lesson. And then this unfolded. Nevertheless, after this happened, the Muslims then continued for a while. This situation over the Muslims' difficulties and hardships continued until such time. Already came the time of Tughlaq uh, Taymur. So a long time thereafter. But Allah Ta'ala's Nizam, he was also part of the same the, from, the, from the Tatars. It happened there were some travelers and there was a great sheikh among them, Sheikh Jalaluddin was his name. They were traveling and going past. 
they trespassed without realizing it into one of the reserves of this Tughlaq Taymur. And his people arrested them, they were brought into his presence. So he very harshly started interrogating them. He says, How dare you have the right to come and trespass in my territory? So the Sheikh Jamaluddin, Jamaluddin was his name, he said that, Look, our, we are strangers here, we don't know the place. This was not intended. We just came past here. We just trespassed by mistake. So therefore, this was a mistake. We should be pardoned for this. So again in that, the way that the Muslims are being treated with that scorn and hatred, in that same manner, he asked the Sheikh Jamaluddin, that this dog that is here, you are better with this dog. Now just, just in that manner of insulting, so Sheikh Jamaluddin very calmly replied and said that if I die without Iman, then this dog is better than me. But if I pass away with Iman, I'm better than this dog. Now those who have that ta'aluk with Allah wa ta'ala, those who understand what the realities of things are, they don't get flustered by these kind of things. They are looking ahead. They are looking at something else. Now, for us, if somebody had to ask us some question of this nature, that bichara Allah knows best what will happen to him. But he very calmly replied. Now, this person heard the word Iman for the first time. He didn't know what this Iman is all about. So he asked him, what are you talking about this Iman? When he asked about what is Iman, the Sheikh took the opportunity and in a very eloquent manner he gave him Dawah towards deep. This person was very impressed. Cutting the long story short, in time he became a Muslim. And he became a Muslim, he was the ruler of his area. He became a Muslim, his people started coming to Islam. One after the other, all these people whose ancestors had, met, had massacred the Muslims. One after the other, these progenies of those people all came to Islam. Allah Ta'ala brought them into the end. But those who had drifted away from Allah Ta'ala, where they ended up. Now this was the turning point. But the turning point nevertheless again brings us to that lesson. That in the interim now, because the Muslims were under this persecution, under these harsh conditions, there were many people, the pockets here and there, of some ulama, there were people who were concerned about deen, they started stepping up the efforts of deen, under the difficult circumstances that they were in. And as this consciousness started developing again, people started coming onto Amal. Now again, this Sheikh trespassing, etc., all sounds like a coincidence. He just came here by mistake, and while this person asked him that question, no, no, Yusuf al Islam didn't end up getting brought out of the well by that caravan by mistake, that the caravan lost their way, and they now had to find water, and they came to that well. No, no mistakes here. Allah Ta'ala made that caravan come to take his Yusuf for the protection of his Nabi. Allah Ta'ala made the intizam. So likewise, when the people started coming back onto Amal, they started coming back onto Deen, Allah Ta'ala made this happen. That now this will become the turning point, this person will get the opportunity to hear the Dawah of Deen, and this will turn his heart, and when he will come into Islam, his people will follow him, then this will lead to other neighboring places to start doing the same, and that's what exactly happened. So this is a very concise discussion of this very
painful part of our history, but the lesson in all it. That Allah wa ta'ala has made this already very clear. Inna Allah la yughayiru ma biqawmin hatta yughayiru ma bi anfusihim. That the good that is in a people, Allah won't take it from them. The good, the good life that they may be having, the peace, the security, the prosperity, the protection of their institutions, the protection of all their things, of their iman, their amal, all this good that they have, this is the essential thing. Allah won't change this. Hatta yughayiru ma bi anfusihim. Until they themselves change then they'll lose it. If they change for the worse, they'll lose it. This is what history has taught us already. That this is Adatullah. This is the system Allah Ta'ala has placed in dunya. Person says, but why is the fire burning? That's Allah Ta'ala's Qudrat Allah Ta'ala has made this as the Nizam of dunya. This is a Nizam Alam. Fire will burn. It's an exception, it won't burn. Allah Ta'ala will manifest His Qudrat. This is my control. That's an exception, but but the nizam of dunya is it will burn. So likewise, sins burn, vices burn, and immorality. This is among the worst things that burn a society. Behayai. This lewdness, this immorality. And unfortunately, this is, this is a scourge. We need to now start making the efforts on ourselves, on our families, on our communities, on our mother at large to bring back this complete deen in our lives and to bring back the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in our lives like these people turned around Allah ta'ala turned the situation for them for the better the ummah is going through numerous difficulties numerous hardships calamities we change ourselves and we change the condition of the ummah by our efforts Allah ta'ala will use those efforts as a means Allah ta'ala will do but if we come back onto deen, we bring our families onto deen, and the ummah comes onto deen, Allah Ta'ala has got no personal issue with anybody. This is a nizam Allah Ta'ala has set in dunya. In ahsantum, ahsantum li anfusikum. Wa in asa'atum, fala. You do good, it's for your own benefit. Allah Ta'ala is saying to us. And somebody does the opposite, he's going to have to bear the brunt of it. Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. Allah Ta'ala give us a tawfiq that we take these lessons to heart, and... We translate it into action. The action, we should make some conscious intentions. The conscious intention, the first thing is that to reflect in my own life. Is there, and how much of it is there, of the things that were discussed that caused the downfall of these people? And this is just a very, very brief discussion we've had and very few things we mentioned. Whatever is the disobedience of Allah, all that is part of it. To reflect in our own lives, how is my life going? How is my ibadat taking place? What is the level of my iman, my ibadat, my mu'amalat, my dealings? How correct is it? My mu'asharat, how am I living with my family, my neighbors, my parents, people in general? What is my akhlaq all about? What kind of akhlaq am I displaying? Is my akhlaq inviting people towards deen or actually chasing them away? Is the way that I'm trading and dealing with people inviting them towards Islam or sending them away? Is it one person, just to finish off on this note, this has just revived some memories and during, while having supper, some of the Satis were talking about my brother Allah, so on this note now we're talking about Mu'amalat and 
this, how we are dealing with people and so on. One is that in the time, over time, he had about seven maids, one after the other that had come, and then for some reason they had to leave it, whatever. At the maximum, it took one month for any maid to accept Islam in his house. At the maximum, one month. And over time, it was seven, eight of them. Then, this was something happened after he passed away. That one person mentioned this to me. He says that uh, he had hired a tiler. So now, that person was doing something and unfortunately this is how we sometimes talk to people, how we deal with them. We don't realize what messages we are giving. That person needs his money now, he needs to get his job done. So now for that deal to be done or to get his salary at the end of the month or whatever, he's going to keep quiet and carry on but he's imbibing something. He's taking some messages, he's taking some impression. In any case he says he wasn't happy about something, he just said something anyhow or whatever. But that time it didn't even strike him, just spoke to him roughly and went away. The next day he came again, now this person was still busy. That day somehow, whatever it was, he just started talking to him very nicely, calmly, asking him something. Now this person is busy with his work. So in a little bit of casual talk, a little bit light-hearted, but like in a nice way, that person turned around and said to him, says, now you're talking like Maulana Yunus Patel. He apparently had done some work for Maulana sometime, or had some interaction with him, Allah knows. But that impression lasted with him. And when this person, after the rough talk on the first day, when he spoke little well the next day, that came to mind for this person. He says, today you're talking like Maulana Yunus Patel. Now, this is just one small glimpse into the lives of these great personalities. And this is a lesson that we got to take. Our akhlaq, our mu'amlat, our mu'asharat, how we're dealing with people. Sometimes we might lose 10 rands, but we might win somebody towards Iman. It might be maybe 100 rands or 200 rands, but we didn't make an issue about it. Because now it was gray area, whether it was our fault or his fault. So it's, it's a gray area, it's not clear cut, rather I take the loss. But don't make a fight with the person. Allah knows that might turn the person's heart towards deep. The way that we spoke to somebody, not for the sake of his money. Akhlaq, many a times we show akhlaq also. But one person, we've gone off the topic and the time has already gone also. And I think it was said maximum one hour. I don't know, we already overstepped it now. Almost. Almost, okay. We'll finish off on this. This is just as a last bit of it. One person went to do some business somewhere. So he knew the person he went to see very well. But he was waiting his turn. The person was sitting in his office. And there was some person he was busy with. That person had come along, that customer, whoever it was, had come along with his child. While they were busy, suddenly something, the child was feeling upset, whatever, he suddenly brought up right there in the office. So now this person who is the owner here, he ran around the desk and he grabbed whatever he could and he started dabbing up that. In the meantime, somebody called the cleaners and so on, they came and took over and they sorted it out. In any case, this person after he was done, took his child and went away. Now, this person who was sitting outside and observing all this, he, he came in. Now, they were quite informal with one another. He's telling him, now he's telling him in Gujarati, he said, you really did something. What are you talking about? You came to clean that vomit of that child? So the reply he gave, he said, Bomoto Garache. He a very big customer. So very big customer. So now I had to do that. 
So it means now this person will keep coming here. It's a very big customer. So whether I nearly bring up in the process, but now for that dunya I got to do it. So that the akhlaq was shown. What wonderful akhlaq. But for dunya, if we just change our focus, just change it from dunya to deen, that same akhlaq would have won that person's heart towards iman. Now it might have opened his heart towards coming and bringing his business here. Because the kind of intention a person has, that is the kind of effect it has. So if that intention is to win the person with my, with my mu'amalat, with my mu'asharat, win him to deen, win him towards Allah Ta'ala, that will have an impact on him. Allah Ta'ala give us a tawfiq, Allah Ta'ala bless us with his special rahmat, save us from all the calamities and hardships. Allah Ta'ala protect the ummah throughout the world. Allah Ta'ala guide us all to his pleasure at all times. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.